Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. So probably the hardest hitting question of the episode, but uh, which water utility do you get your water from? I'm with Thames Water, which is the largest privatized water utility in the UK. It services London and the surrounding region, and it's got about 15 million customers. This is Jill Plimmer. I'm the infrastructure correspondent at the Financial Times. Right now, Jill has been really busy reporting on the water utilities in the UK. Things aren't going well. How has service been for you? Have you noticed anything within your day-to-day when it comes to water? I mean, my drinking water supply is okay, but there are definitely a lot of leaks. There's a lot of burst pipes, uh, even up my road. People get their homes flooded with sewage every so often, and then there's the sewage sort of flooding into the rivers, even on dry days. Okay. So we can just send this audio to customer service then at Thames and... That'll that'll take care of it. Yeah, exactly. They might cut me off. (laughs) Jill is probably the least of Thames' problems right now. As you heard, it feels like Thames and really most of the UK water utilities are falling into this unprecedented level of disrepair. In the last few weeks, there have been nonstop headlines around these utilities. Things really kicked off in late June when the Thames' chief executive abruptly left the company. Then it emerged essentially that they had asked investors to pump in some money last year and they'd asked for $1.5 billion, and yet by March this year they'd only received $500 million. So there's a lot of concern over their financial stability and Sky News broke a story that the government was on standby in case it needed to be renationalised. And really that's where we still are now. Jill says the origins of this crisis date all the way back to the late 1980s. That's when the UK government decided to privatize its water utilities. It's the only country in the world to fully privatize its water service. No one's just sort of wholesale sold all the water assets to private companies and then taken a fairly hands-off approach to how they're actually managed. So it's unusual in that sense. And water is just so crucial. And once these private companies moved in, the utilities racked up billions in debt. And they were privatised with pretty much no debt and given a couple billion pounds to make improvements. And now with the sewage flooding out and the water leakage, it's just not really clear that all that debt has been used to pay for improvements. Instead, it's shareholders who are seeing big returns. And this model of buying infrastructure, saddling it with debt, and paying out returns to shareholders is actually the brainchild of one company, Macquarie. Macquarie is a massive Australian bank, asset manager, commodities trader, and it's its asset management business that runs the water operations here. And it started off with Southeast Water, and then it moved on to Thames, and now it owns Southern Water. 
in a way, it represents a model of infrastructure investment that's become incredibly popular worldwide. And it uses private finance to invest in infrastructure and essentially borrows against these stable cash flows that they get from customers. So the beauty of water is they know that everyone has to pay for their water. Macquarie is now the largest infrastructure asset manager in the world. And its strategy is so popular, it's actually known as the Macquarie model. Jill says investors just love infrastructure. But... The word investment isn't quite the word. I mean, you put your money in and get returns, but it's not quite so clear that consumers (laughs) get the returns that they want. And ultimately, it's backed by government. Thames water fails, the water will keep coming out of our taps, the government will move in, and all those investors that have made off with a lot of money will be absolutely fine. That's the thing, it'll be taxpayers that are on the hook for the bill. I'm Topher Forges from the Financial Times, in for Mikel Tendera. Today on Behind the Money, it's been more than 30 years since Macquarie figured out how to turn utilities into lucrative assets. Now, with Thames and other utilities struggling, we explore what happens when private investment collides with a public service. Jill, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. So you have these companies that are seemingly not making improvements, taking on a lot of debt, uh, are privatized. And when you pull back and look at who either owns them or has owned them previously, there's one company that stands out that you have written about, Macquarie. What is Macquarie and what is their relationship to these water utilities? So Macquarie is the biggest infrastructure investor in the world and they played a big part in UK water because particularly at Thames, you know, when they bought it, it had £3.4 billion of debt and by the time it left, it had £10.8 billion of debt and that's part of the reason that Thames Water is in so much trouble today. They sort of pioneered this whole model called the Macquarie model of borrowing against an existing infrastructure. And they really made the most out of privatisation. They bought, you know, a toll road in the US and then toll roads in Britain. And from there, they've just sort of expanded. So now they own an incredible amount of stuff, really. They own gas pipes and broadband and nursing homes. And they seem to be expanding into hospitals a little bit here and there. And they're big in wind farms, all kinds of things. Wow. And $590 billion of assets under management. Yeah, that's a lot. That is a lot. to get your head around. So you wrote that Macquarie has been nicknamed at times the vampire kangaroo. Why is that? So Macquarie, when it comes to sort of big public sector infrastructure, it uses a standard private equity model where it creates infrastructure funds by raising cash from big investors like pension investment groups. And they provide the equity portion of the funding, which is used to buy a particular asset, like a water company or a power company or telecoms network. And then they borrow the balance from big global banks or private debt funds. 
And Macquarie gets its income as the sort of manager of all these funds that are invested in the different assets, and they get management and performance fees that are tied to the fund's returns. Essentially, they can borrow against the stable cash flows that are generated by having crucial, essential public sector infrastructure. It provides the security. So it's a bit like having a house. And where could that model run into trouble? Well, it runs into troubles when interest rates start rising and when the company just becomes too indebted and more and more of the customer bill, in this case, is going towards paying off the debt and there just isn't enough to pay for the infrastructure and the maintenance of the infrastructure. So, Jill, a lot of this privatization started in the 1980s and 1990s. Can you talk me through what was happening on the government side that would want to make them privatize these public utilities? Sure. Well, essentially, you know, the government under Margaret Thatcher, a conservative in the UK, was keen to privatize assets because they wanted to keep big projects off government balance sheet. And they also believed that privatization would deliver greater efficiency. Local authorities had been running water assets up till then, and they genuinely believed that if they sold these companies to private investors, they would, you know, bring discipline to these companies and raise money from markets and customers would pay it back at a slower rate through their bills. And it was a sort of user pays principle, which they applied really across the board. So transport, which also had been in public hands, was also handed to private companies. And the idea was that you transfer the cost to bill payers rather than taxpayers. And so this privatization that happened in the UK using the Macquarie model Um, Did Macquarie apply that model elsewhere? Where did it go after it started acquiring utilities in the UK? It did. I mean, it also invested or bought a lot of toll roads, particularly in the US and Canada. But the UK has always been sort of at the forefront of privatization, and it's probably the most privatized country in the world. It's certainly more assets are privatized here than the US, for example. And of course, they have set up regulators. There are three in water in the UK, but they really took quite a hands-off approach. And do you have a sense of how many other asset managers have really adopted this model since? Yeah. I mean, I think it's caught on massively. And if you look at the figures, I mean, the number of global infrastructure assets under private management is now huge. It's topped the sort of one trillion mark. And lots of the big sort of private equity firms like BlackRock have moved into this market. So the Macquarie model, who's criticizing it? And what's their argument for why it's a problem? The number of critics is growing, of course, particularly in Britain, where there are these massive failures over sewage pollution. And essentially, you know, the argument is that the investors are quite distant. They're funds whose first responsibility is to their shareholders. It's not to providing water and sewage services. You know, Macquarie has got into quite a lot of trouble for paying out nearly £3 billion in dividends during its ownership of Thames Water and racking up the debt from $3 billion to $10 billion. Also, there's the argument that basically they're just letting the system age and not actually investing in it and keeping it, you know, going. 
Yeah, I mean, they would argue, of course, Water UK, which is the industry lobby group, will say, we have invested £190 billion into water infrastructure since privatisation. But the crucial point there is that all the investment actually comes from customer bills. So it's not really them putting their hands in their own pockets. And in fact, in Macquarie's case, in the case of Thames Water, it seems not only to have taken out dividends and racked up the debt, but it also seems to have recovered the cost of its initial purchase fairly quickly. Has anyone tried to say Macquarie and Thames are just the bad apples in this? That was certainly the case. I mean, Thames Water received the biggest fine ever in 2017. It received a £20 million fine for tipping swimming pool loads of sewage into the Thames River and tributaries. And at the time, everyone said, oh, it's such an outlier. You know, Macquarie is the bad one. The rest of us aren't like that. And since then, it's really emerged that it's it's all the same. And then Southern Water in 2021 received a £90 million fine for tipping sewage into coastal waters and rivers. And again, it was described as borderline deliberate You know, if you read the court documents, you just find that none of the sewage treatment plants had been maintained. I mean, in some cases, the company's workers had literally carted sewage away in trucks from the sewage treatment plant to avoid environmental inspectors. I mean, the scale of the misdoing was incredible. And that's two companies. And then there's many smaller incidents across the board. How do customers feel the effects of an aging infrastructure system and utilities that are laden with this debt? How do they feel that in their bills? Bills rose sort of sharply, I think, in the first couple decades after privatization. And then it's sort of risen at a rate below the rate of inflation uh, in the past decade or so very roughly speaking. But now now water companies are asking for bills to be raised quite a lot higher to pay for a whole raft of infrastructure investment that needs to be done. And that's difficult because people are mad that the investment wasn't done before. They've been paying for the service for the past, you know, 30-odd years, and they simply haven't got received the improvements that they were hoping for. You know, at least one company has asked to raise bills by 40% by the end of the decade. And that's a huge increase to ask of people when they're all so mad that, you know, they're angry that so much has been extracted and dividends and CEO pay and fees and so forth. And they just haven't had the services they wanted. So, Jill, really most utilities in the UK are privatized. Do you see any sort of comparable problems in the other services in the UK, or is the water problem really a standout? Well, the water problem is, A, water is just so crucial, and it's very visible. If your beach is closed and you're on a summer holiday and you can't swim in it because of sewage, it's kind of obvious. I mean, there have been troubles with the power networks. Uh, I think there were some outages last year or the year before, And there was a regulatory report that sort of found that, you know, lots of the telegraph poles were still wooden 1950s poles and there hadn't been adequate investment in infrastructure. And one of the big companies, which is also in the US, National Grid, is behind on providing connections for solar plants. So 
You know, companies often have a 10-year wait to get connection to the grid for their solar power plant. So there, there are problems in other sectors too, yes. So what do you think is going to happen? These companies are trying to secure funding. They still have a lot of debt. Interest rates are still high. What do you think is going to happen next? It's really hard to know. I mean, at the moment, the shareholders and Thames have made a commitment to put some money in. And it should be noted that, you know, when they received 500 million in March, this was the first time since privatization 34 years ago that investors have had to put equity into the business. And they've pledged to put more in, but that's conditional. So we have to see if they'll stump up. And if they've already taken losses, it's a bit hard to see. I mean, it's a difficult choice for them, isn't it? It's like any investor, you know, are they just throwing good money after bad or do they try and keep it going in the hope that ultimately it will come right and they will get back to those stable revenues and dividends and feel tickety-boo? Is there any possibility that the government will seize the utilities? I mean, it's certainly not the way the government is minded. It's very keen on private sector investment and infrastructure. In a way, having privatized infrastructure means you've got a flat catcher. They don't have to take the blame for the failings or the failure to invest in infrastructure. So they're pretty keen on the current system and there's no indication that they want to change it. Yeah, from the sound of it, it's like, what kind of options do you have, right? Because not to be pessimistic about it, but the nature of private equity is to make things lean and efficient. And it sounds like there's nothing really outside of this public uproar that would motivate them to go against the philosophy of private equity is always kind of leaned on. Yeah. I mean, you know, some people are making the argument that these companies should be listed, which forces greater transparency and Shareholders could put their hands in their pockets and they may stump up a lot of money. And the companies really cut back on things like chief executive pay and invest in water company infrastructure. That is one option. And the other is probably, you know, that they'll topple over over the size of their debts and they will end up back in national hands. But it's very hard to know which way it'll go. So pulling back onto Macquarie, has Macquarie continued to invest in more UK infrastructure? It has, yeah. No, it's it's a big buyer of UK infrastructure and has been for the past couple of decades. I think it's, it's possibly its biggest market outside Australia, and that partly reflects the UK's appetite for private sector investment in infrastructure. And what other opportunities are they looking into? So Macquarie has really moved into the renewable space, and I think that's where it sees its future. I think it's one of the largest or the largest wind farm investors in the world, and it's exploring hydrogen technologies and all sorts of other things in that market. And what do you think needs to happen so that these new opportunities don't end up like Thames Water? I think there's a great need for more public transparency, if nothing else. There's some complicated financial models out there. There's, you know, all kinds of different ways that essentially are used to provide companies and investors with security, but that cost taxpayers money. And you can make arguments 
for them or against them, but I think what we really do need is more transparency over exactly how these models work and who pays for them. Jill Plimmer, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. It was interesting to talk to you. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about this story, the articles linked in our show notes are all free to read right now. Today's episode was hosted by me, Tover Foreheads. Mikel Tendera will be back next week. Sofia Ahmed is our producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.